All right, well, I'm going to call us into a business meeting for uh, December the 6th, uh, 2020. Uh, and uh, as we do that, the first item on our agenda tonight uh, is to vote for new members of committees. And I want to make that presentation. Hopefully you've picked up uh, this uh, small half sheet out there on the table. Uh, and uh, to let you know, the nominated committee, we're adding Al Harvey. His term will expire in 2023. Um, and, uh, and then uh, I'm going to uh, share these new members, and then we're going to vote for them all together. Uh, so uh, Tara Pogue and James Turner are being added to the Finance Committee. Their terms will expire in 2023. And Gayla Bynum and Brian Wilkinson are being added to the Personnel Team, and their term will expire in 2023. Mary Owen and Pat Cardona are going to be added to the building and grounds team and their term also expiring in 2023. So uh, as a church family, this comes as a recommendation from our nominating committee. Uh, so I don't need uh, anything other than a, uh, a second uh, for that. Is, that. is that correct? I don't even need a second because it comes from the committee. So all in favor of these people serving on the nominating finance personnel and building and grounds committee, say aye. Any oppose? All right, I believe that's everyone. I'm going to call Brian Live up at this time, and Brian's going to go over our financials and present our uh, 2021 budget to you. Okay, you should have a copy of both the, uh, the 2021 budget. Excuse me, can you hear me okay? And the financial statement through October. And we'll go that through that really quickly. <clears throat> uh, if you look at the first page, page one, uh, the balance sheet, the, the biggest thing that kind of stands out there is just the cash balance. The cash balance is, as of October 31st, nearly up $1.1 million. And, and that's all just ties and offerings. I mean, there's no government funds in there or anything like that. We didn't, we didn't, didn't keep any government funds or anything like that this year. So, uh, uh, that, that's just God doing his thing in his own sovereign way. It's been pretty amazing uh, what's happened this year. Um, 2020 looks like it's probably going to be, if not our highest giving year ever, uh, one of the highest giving years ever. So that's pretty amazing. It says a lot for our church body as well. Uh, on the second page... We'll just kind of focus on the second column there. That's the year-to-date column through October, so that's through 10 months. Um, you can see that our, our total revenues through that time were about a million seven. Of that, a million six ten relates directly to to our, our general budget offerings. So that's through 10 months, so an average of about $161,000 a month. Um, November actually had five weeks. Um, so I just got the totals a little bit ago on November, and it was over 200000 So through November, our total tithes were uh, in excess of $1,820,000. Uh, and December's typically if one of our largest months of the year for obvious reasons. So it's very likely that our, our total tithes could end up over $2 million. And I don't recall a year ever being that high. So it's if that happens, or even if it doesn't happen, that it's pretty amazing that 2020 is the year that we have, uh, you know, record ties and offerings. So that's that's pretty phenomenal. Likewise, outside of 
personnel and, and some of our uh, our mission giving that that we um, that we give as as a percentage of our budget, um, most of our expenses have been down for obvious reasons. Um, you know, youth expenses are down, children's expenses are down because there's no camps, utility expenses are down because we haven't used our facilities the same way this year, so on and so forth. So most of our expenses are down. So if you go all the way to the bottom of that second column, you can see that as of the end of October, we have a surplus of about $271,000. And that's probably going to continue to increase with the, the 200000 plus in November and whatever comes through in December. So what will happen is the Finance Committee um, will get together at the end of the year. We'll determine how to assign, how to earmark that. We don't just let it push it over in the bank and do nothing with it. We, we give it a name, basically. And on that third page is our restricted accounts. Most of that surplus will most likely go into some sort of a future building fund. Uh, we've already got about $225,000 in that fund, and I expect that'll, that'll increase significantly. Uh, there'll probably be some other things that we'll earmark funds for, but fortunately over the last few years we've gotten our, a lot of our big projects done, um, and so there's not a lot of other things that um, that I think are sitting out there that we need to allocate funds to. So my guess is the vast majority of it will go toward uh, to, to some sort of a future building project. Any questions about the uh, the October financial statements? also have a copy of the budget and I assume that you've all had a chance to kind of glance at it we didn't raise the budget very much this year again for obvious reasons we want to be really careful um, not to um, I don't know not to do anything crazy with the budget this year and it wasn't really a need to uh, certainly we wanted to continue to uh, increase personnel costs to the extent that it made sense to do so our, our staff have worked so hard this year. This is probably, I've got to believe this is probably one of the toughest years uh, that they've ever, in terms of just effort and, and, and probably not just physically, but emotionally draining years that, that they've probably experienced in a long time, if, if not uh, ever. So we did, uh, obviously did have some increases in the personnel area and then also had some increase in, in some of our missions areas. Outside of that, most of the, uh, most of the budget line items stayed pretty much the same. A few w actually went backwards a little bit for, for various reasons. Um, but our, our budget, total budget went up about two and a half percent. That's equivalent of about $46,000. And if you look at those various sections on the budget, I won't go through them in great detail, but if, if you think about the budget going up $46,000 and you look at those first two sections, the missions and the personnel, you can see most. That's where most of that forty-six thousand are. The uh, the missions area uh, increased by about sixteen five, and total personnel increased by about twenty-nine. So sixteen five plus twenty-nine is forty-five five. That's where most of the forty-six thousand dollar increase in the budget came from. Um, I think the mission increase is about four and a half to five percent. The personnel increases about right at about three, so everything else stayed pretty, pretty much the same. Um, total budget is a million. What was it? Million eight eighty, I believe. Yeah, million eight eighty. 
compared to 1,834,000 for 2020. Okay. Jim, do you want to handle the vote on the budget or? Okay. So we'll go ahead and vote on the budget. Um, all in favor, say aye. Any opposed? Okay. All right. Jim and I were pointing back at forth at each other, so I'm not sure. I'll take the, uh, the next item. The new items for discussion and future consideration, uh, we want to provide an opportunity for that if there's anything we need to be aware of with staff discussions as we move into, into the holidays. Obviously, we're dealing with a lot of new items and thinking about things through the state of the church tonight, but anything, just while we're gathering the church meeting, anything that is on your heart that we need to be paying attention to or you'd like to bring up for consideration? All right, sounds good. Seeing none, we will make a motion to adjourn the meeting, but you can't leave because the state of the church is, I guess you can leave, like I can't keep you here, but uh, does anyone make a motion to adjourn the business meeting portion tonight? Thank you, Stephen. Anyone second that? Kenny, we'll get you on the second there. So, all right. All in favor, receive one of the State of the Church addresses that are going to be passed out. So, Jeff, if you and Carl and if anybody else is, is helping you with that, what you're going to receive right now is a copy of the State of the Church address. This address is also being emailed probably around 7 o'clock tonight or so, however long it takes me to get back over to the office and get the email generated. But... It'll be emailed out as part of just a regular church-wide email, so whoever normally receives the church-wide email will receive a copy of this. Also, we have put a hard copy in the mail for every Emmaus member. So every Emmaus member, every household will receive a hard copy. These went in the mail yesterday, so Tuesday, Wednesday, something like that, every, every family. So if you're here tonight, you're probably going to get a copy in the mail at some point this week, but we just wanted to make sure we didn't miss anybody in light of COVID and holidays and people not being able to, to get out. So every, every Emmaus member will get this, and it'll also be available on our website, and the audio is being recorded tonight, and so it'll be part of the podcast, the Emmaus podcast as well. But I know it's hard to listen to a 35, 40-minute address when you don't have anything in front of you, so I wanted you to have a copy of it in front that you could, you could follow along with me. And famous last words, but I think I got most of my tears out of the way this morning, but I've got the Kleenexes just in case. Uh, my emotions this morning were a combination of just the weight of tonight, and then also my youngest brother, he and his wife tried for years to have a little baby, um, and they had to take the baby at 24 weeks in an emergency situation this morning, and praying, praying that that she'll be okay and be able to make it, but it's, it's a really tough, really tough situation. And so years and years desiring to have a little one and then just the pain of the last couple of days and, and little one, she was born at 1245, right after the service, I got the text message. I knew they were going into 
uh, surgery this morning. So the weight of tonight, love for brother and sister-in-law and this little one, and it just, uh, just the weight of all that. So, so if you're like, ooh, and what was his crying this morning about? It was that plus probably, like Brian said, 2020 uh, unleashing itself on me this morning. But let me, let me make this presentation. Uh, and and I'd lo- I do, would like to begin with a word of prayer. Let's do that. That would be, that would be best. Father, we gather tonight uh, thankful for your kindness and grace toward us. God, thank you for what we've been able to even consider already tonight with committees and budget and things that we pray would be honoring to you. And God, as we, um, as we think about what's before us tonight as a church family and what you have, God, I pray for your wisdom and direction and strength. And, and God, I pray for my family and so many other families that are walking through hard things right now. God, that we would remember the hope we have in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Section one, the crossroads. For the past couple of years, I've begun our State of the Church address with a framework developed by Tom Rainer. If you don't know Tom Rainer, he's a Southern Baptist researcher, longtime uh, leader in, in the convention, but he uses a framework to explain a pastor's timeline at a church. Rainer labels year one as honeymoon, with the fresh expectations and joy of a new relationship. Then, at some point during that year, maybe week one, the church begins to see the imperfections in the pastor's ministry and becomes less afraid to point these out to him. And the pastor finds out some promises from the congregation, especially promises of change, were unfulfilled. Years two and three, Rainer calls conflicts and challenges. As he notes, during the second and third year, the church gains a number of new members who arrived under the present pastor's tenure. It's not uncommon for longer-term members, especially those in positions of influence or volunteer roles, to feel threatened or frustrated by the changes as new people move into the core of the church. After a long-term pastor, the next pastor often doesn't last long because, just as it's difficult for new members to break into an established situation, it's equally hard for a new pastor to break into well-established networks. Years two and three, for us, had hard moments, but you all were incredibly patient and kind. Rainer goes on to call years four and five the crossroads part one. He says, if the pastor and the church manage the season well, they can often look forward to some of the best years ahead. In fact, Rainer names years six through ten the fruit and harvest period. I just finished year five at Emmaus, and even though his observations are general, Rainer's framework has proven accurate and helpful. By this point, we know each other's flaws. But by this point, we have also built some trust and have a clearer vision of what is possible in the years to come. This past year, the word that has come to mind most consistently when I think of Emmaus is anticipation. I live with anticipation and pray with anticipation about what lies in front of us, even knowing there will continue to be challenges and difficulties to navigate. So tonight, as we look forward, we are also going to look back at the past few months and years. We'll evaluate where we've been, where we are, and where we sense God is leading us. Section two, which we've titled 2020, Need I Say More? When I think back on 2020, I'll think about deacons and the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's a good combination, by the way. Why these two things? On Wednesday night, March 11th, the Thunder game was canceled before it started following a positive coronavirus test from Utah jazz player Rudy Gobert. I heard this news walking into an Emmaus deacons meeting, and by the time we finished that meeting, our world around here was changed in some sense forever. The impacts had certainly started outside our area before March 11th, even though my church-wide email on March 10th didn't even mention the virus. But things began to move very quickly after that night. 
The next day, I sent a general email to the church family, and we created a staff email thread to share perspectives and ideas. It's interesting to go back and read those emails because from the earliest days of this pandemic, you can see the incredible teamwork displayed by our staff. I can't say enough how well the Emmaus staff has performed this year, sharing ideas, making adjustments on the fly, communicating with our church members, and adapting ministry efforts to serve the body of Christ. One week after that Thunder Game and Deacons meeting, our staff met on Wednesday, March 18th to make some key decisions. We prayed together and shared concerns, but we also took key steps forward. In that meeting, we decided to move completely online, close the building for a few weeks, and find ways to stay in touch with the church. We created a spreadsheet of every Emmaus member, divided the names among our staff, and began calling through the list. Our AV team, led by Roger Kilgore, worked that week to set up additional cameras and transition us completely online by Sunday, March 22nd. One key idea from that March 18th staff meeting was from Crystal Hillis, who mentioned we could ask church members to submit videos each week saying hi from home. Crystal's idea is how we ended up seeing Dale McCoy wearing a bonnet. I've been urged to find a way to include elements like these videos even now that we're meeting together in person again, and I couldn't agree more. This will be a major commitment going forward. Another thing that came from the March 18th staff meeting was a commitment to provide daily Facebook Live videos from the staff. These videos ran through the summer and allowed us to provide mission updates, funny jokes, depends on who you ask, but funny jokes from Miss Courtney and Miss Amy, introductions to other pastors in the area, and Bible devotions. Beginning on May 31st, we were able to offer in-person gatherings again. Over the summer, a few groups began to meet, but we unfortunately had to cancel Falls Creek, Kids Camp, VBS, and mission trips. By early August, though, our kids were able to come back into classrooms, and we moved pretty well through the fall before the recent wave of cases led to more cancellations. If you're curious about numbers for the past year, here's a quick overview. Through January and February, we were averaging 575 people in the worship gathering and 643 total on Sunday mornings, including preschool and kids. This was ahead of 2019's average attendance. For March 22nd through May 24th, we averaged 268 views online with Facebook and YouTube, with a high of 331 on Easter. For May 31st, when we began to regather through August 9th, we averaged 309 people in attendance on Sunday mornings, about a one-third, two-third split, and during this time, our online views averaged 67. On August 16th, we restarted preschool and kid programs. Since then, the in-person worship gatherings have averaged a total of 442, split between an average of 82 in the early service and 360 in the later service. During this time, the online views have continued at an average of 56 each week. Now to state the obvious, numbers don't tell the whole story this year. So over the next few minutes, I want to celebrate how God has been at work. In a sermon at the beginning of our spring quarantine, I mentioned that our building might be closed, but the church is still open for business. This proved true. Even without access to a building, the people of God were able to proclaim and display Jesus in some powerful ways. Gwen mentioned that the engagement on our Facebook page is up 166% from last year. Back around Easter, we used this increased engagement to ask Emmaus members to share their testimony on Facebook. So many of you did this, and I heard great feedback. One member posted her testimony and a lady whom her family has been praying for. This lady is a Wiccan and the family has been praying for her for over 20 years, watched the post and loved it. Our weekday preschool program, Compass, is in its fourth year and with great flexibility, those teachers have been able to provide 65 kiddos with a semi-normal school experience. We have five classes, ages two through kindergarten and are full in nearly every class, including a new class this year. 
On top of this, we are now seeing families bring their second and third kids to school at Compass. In some ways, our kids, between school changes and church event cancellations, have been impacted by the past year more than anyone. But we've also heard of our kids reaching out to their neighbors back in the spring and then bringing these friends to church later in the year. After the decision was made to cancel VBS, one volunteer mentioned, God still wanted us to train and prep for VBS because he wanted us to remember how important it is to teach the gospel to kids. We stay obedient as long as he asks us to, and then we release the rest to his hands. As Courtney said, this was just a reminder that no matter how this year has gone, no matter how many plans have changed, what's important is being faithful to what God has called us to today, and then tomorrow, and then the next day. As with kids, our teenagers have felt the emotional and social impact of COVID. But even though they have missed out on some events, our students were among the first groups reconnecting online and finding ways to get together during the week. I think we also learned some important lessons from our students during the past year. Even though their generation has been raised online and understands technology, they strongly sense the importance of relationships and making a difference in the world. Instead of feeling frustrated or worried about Gen Z, I think we've seen signs that they are ready to engage powerfully and personally with the church and with God's mission in the world for years to come. Our Sunday school classes and small groups did a great job loving and caring for each other during the quarantine. Despite all of the difficulties, our groups found ways to stay in touch through Zoom, text, prayer, parking lot meetings, etc. Then when we regathered in late summer, not only were some classes able to get back together, but we had great participation in our new Wednesday night groups. One of these Wednesday groups was for our young adults, and this group was instrumental in leading to the baptisms you saw a few weeks ago in the November 22nd worship service. During the spring, David and Jaron consistently put out songs on Facebook during the week for our church family. Not only this, but David was able to rotate most members of the vocal team to help lead worship online on Sunday mornings. And when the time was right, we were able to pull the orchestra and choir back into the rotation. In the spring, we finished a 15-month sermon series through the Gospel of Matthew. Then we studied God's character before working our way through Galatians with a focus on the power of the Gospel. Here at the end of the year, we're trying to draw all those pieces together by considering the gift of limits provided by our unlimited God. As we move into 2021, we'll study the fruit of the Spirit, then move toward extended study of an Old Testament book. Probably Daniel, but still up in the air. When COVID reached our area in March, we wondered how the uncertainty would impact our financial resources as a church. In fact, our giving has remained incredibly strong for 2020, and we are on track for a significant budget surplus for the year that will allow us to give extra to some of our mission partnerships and save toward future projects. As we move ahead, there is a sense that the full economic impact of COVID may still be coming. Jim, Jonathan, and our finance committee are keeping a close eye on this, and we simply want to remain good stewards of what God has provided. I included missions under this heading because our strong financial position allowed us to respond as needs arose during the year, including the October ice storm that was completely on brand for 2020. Jim could tell you so many stories about mission work this year. In one story, an Emmaus couple met a homeless man at Central Park and Moore. Jim was able to get him emergency shelter through Salvation Army. Then we were able to help him find a job with a former Emmaus member. This man is now living in Moore and is connected with our church several times. In another story, one of our police officers at Emmaus met a gentleman who was homeless. Another police officer used connections with his TikTok followers to raise money for a car. 
Chief Todd Gibson connected him to a job, and as a vet, this man was able to get immediate housing through Goodwill at an apartment we connect with each year through the Christmas meal bags, and an Emmaus family has provided furniture for the apartment. When local media reported about this story on TV, the police officer who helped raise funds for the car was able to receive the much-deserved attention, while the Emmaus van was literally in the background of the video. I think this is symbolic of how God has used Emmaus over the years to serve in our community, from involvement with the school system and police department to our support of Hope is Alive, More Faith Medical Clinic, and the food bank. So section three, what won't change? Tomorrow, Monday, December 7th, will mark 34 years since Emmaus was incorporated as a church. Even with all that's changed this past year, and before we look to the future and discuss some upcoming plans and changes, I want to mention a few things that won't change. First, our church verse. Our church verse is 2 Corinthians 4, 5. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. We say this verse together when introducing new members to the church, and it serves as the foundation for our church's mission statement. Our commitment to God's word and the foundational principles of this verse won't change. Second, our mission is that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. Based on 2 Corinthians 4-5, we exist reminds us that church is about we, not me. Proclaim has to do with what we say, display has to do with what we do, and the connecting word and is that we want our words and actions to match. Both are important. We don't want to say one thing and do another Jesus is the ultimate focus of our lives in church. More than proclaiming the name of Emmaus, we want to proclaim the name of Jesus. How do we exist to proclaim and display Jesus? Well, we do it through what we call up, in, and out. Up is our focus on worship. Up means that we focus our hearts and minds on God. We do this through prayer and praise, both individually during the week and then corporately when we gather with others. The Sunday worship gathering prepares us to worship God throughout the week, and then the gathering is also a celebration of God's work in our lives during the past week. In is what we call discipleship. We don't want to look religious on the outside while feeling empty on the inside. We believe in the power of God's word and God's spirit working together. That happens in our heart, in our home, and in our church. And in our church, we want to encourage one another. We want to be part of a group. Sunday school class or small group, and we want to make sure we're serving others by using spiritual gifts and talents. And then finally, out is what we mean by missions. What happens on the inside should come out. And we should also say that what comes out is a reflection of what's going on on the inside. We live from the inside out. This happens as we give of our money, our time, our resources, sharing the love of God. It happens as we go. We go personally. There are things you're involved in. You go as part of the church. We partner with other churches. And at Emmaus, we say we do this in our neighborhoods and to the nations. In our neighborhoods, we proclaim and display Jesus locally, where we live, learn, work, and play. And we do it to the nations globally through church trips and partnerships, through connections with the North American and International Mission Boards. And then, frankly, part of serving the nations is serving the nations who live in our neighborhoods. Three circles. As we train members for evangelism and help people understand the big picture of the Bible, we found the three circles model to be very helpful. 
As people move away from God's design for their life and for his world, we see the effects of sin and brokenness with brokenness leading to death. I often say there are two problems none of us can fix on our own, sin and death. But Jesus has dealt with both of these through the cross and resurrection. As we repent of sin and believe in Jesus, we are not only forgiven of sin and have eternal hope beyond death, but God's Spirit uses the gospel message to help us recover and pursue God's design for life right now. We will continue to teach this model, not as equivalent to Scripture, but as a helpful tool to know and share the gospel and the overall story of God's Word. And if there's a tool that you like better, Evangicube, Four Spiritual Laws, Bridge Illustration, by all means, use that one. Moving forward. In last year's State of the Church, I mentioned four categories. Programming, people groups, property, personnel. We stole those from Doug Melton, who pastors Southern Hills Baptist Church up the road and means so much to, to us. Those four categories for long-range planning. Under each heading, I listed some things we hope to pursue in 2020. I want to review those now as a way to look toward the future. So 4.1, programming, two services, and technology. Last year I mentioned, our key decision for programming in 2020 isn't about one specific program, but it impacts all programming because we need to decide whether or not to remain in only one Sunday morning worship service. Then I laid out a couple of reasons to consider two services. Missing in my list of reasons was a global pandemic that limited seating capacity in the building. So when we gathered this past Sunday, or this past summer, we provided two services to promote social distancing and help with the transition. For the time being, we will stick with this plan. No decisions have been made long-term about when or if to return to one service. However, alongside decisions about two services, we need to consider the impact of technology on church ministry in the years ahead. One big question circulating among pastors right now is about the impact of COVID on future church attendance patterns. To what degree can churches continue connecting with families online without losing focus on in-person services and programs? Certainly, the answer will be a hybrid of online and in-person. And I'd ask for your prayer and help as we seek to maintain our focus on personal pastoral ministry, even as we learn to utilize technology better in the years to come. 4.2, people groups, reaching the hurting and homeless. What we mean by people groups is simply those people with whom God has given us favor and connections. It's another way of saying where should we invest missions money and ministry teams both here and around the world. We went into 2020 hoping to provide a mission celebration in August that would allow us to bring in our missionary partners from around the world. Plus, we mentioned open doors for connecting with families in our area whose heart language is in English. We have been able to remain connected to our mission partners and our community this past year, but neither of those options progressed how we planned. However, God did allow us to be on the front lines of addressing the rapidly growing homeless population in our area, and he allowed this to happen through strengthened connections with the Moore Police Department and local nonprofits. For several years, Jim has sensed that needs previously located outside our community might come closer. In 2020, this has happened, and Emmaus is well-positioned to minister to our city in the years to come. Each year, we want to have open eyes, hearts, and hands toward the people with whom God gives us favor and connections. 4.3, Property Campus Master Plan. Our key property goal for 2020 was the establishment of a campus master plan with particular attention on a new preschool and children's building. 
The quarantine set back that process a few months, but I'm glad to report the architects are currently working on the master plan document. You might have seen even some of the surveying sticks and marks around the property. They just completed survey work, and we hope to have some proposals from them maybe by March. In light of this year, we obviously want to be careful about starting a new building project. However, we don't want to be passive either. By developing a master plan and building a strong financial foundation, we will be better positioned to move ahead when the time is right. A key reason that First Baptist planted Emmaus in the 1980s was to reach the neighborhoods they hoped would grow up around this area. In many ways, their vision of neighborhood growth has come to fruition, and we want to make sure we don't miss out on a chance to minister effectively to families in our area. Another part of the master plan, and likely the step we'll pursue first, is further development of our West property. We already have good savings in this account, and there are several possible projects we can pursue. We hope to build a very nice pavilion that can be used for Sunday school parties, family reunions, and birthdays. We also will level some of the ground closest to the parking lot and improve drainage, which will allow more groups to use the field for t-ball and soccer practice and for our guys to continue their flag football league. We plan to add a disc golf course. There's always a, already a mock-up of this back there with the orange cones. And a big goal, though we'll have to watch our finances closely, is to make a prayer walking trail around the field that people can use for exercise and fellowship. And there was also a request to put in a uh, paintball field back there, but I don't know if that will go forward or not, so <laughs> I won't tell you who that request came from. 4.4, personnel, music leadership. Section 5.1 of last year's State of the Church address began. Our primary goal in 2020 for personnel is to solidify the music leadership position so we no longer need to operate in limbo. And I might make a point that on the very back of your document is the entire 5.1 from last year's uh, State of the Church address, so I put it on as an addendum at the very end just for reference. In light of that, it's worth mentioning that the Bible also says in Proverbs 16:9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Going into 2020, we couldn't anticipate how a pandemic would lead to missing several months of meetings. Nevertheless, we have continued this process, and tonight I am very excited to make a proposal to you. The proposal is that Jaron Young transition from his role as student minister to the role of worship pastor and also serve as our minister of senior adults. And for those who are listening to the podcast, I'll make reference to the footnotes at the bottom of your document as well. Footnote one says this also means that if the church votes favorably in a few weeks on tonight's proposal, we would immediately begin a search for the next Emmaus student minister, working alongside the personnel committee with input from Emmaus students, parents, and volunteers. Over the next few minutes, I want to share how we reached this proposal and why I'm excited about it. First, a little background, especially if you're new to Emmaus and didn't even realize this was something we had been working on. In 2009, David Hillis was hired as the music associate. In 2012, the music minister at the time resigned and the church asked David to serve as interim music minister. Following this, Emmaus formed a music search committee and this committee offered the position to an outside candidate, but the candidate backed out at the last minute. Not long afterwards, the Emmaus pastor at the time resigned, and the music search committee was temporarily disbanded. From this point of pastoral resignation to my family coming in November 2015 was another 20 months or so. When I first arrived at Emmaus, people understandably began asking when we were going to hire a music minister. In talking with older pastors in the area who have mentored me, these pastors urged me to move slowly with the process, though admittedly, I'm not sure they had five years in mind, and get to know the church before making a decision. 
After about a year and a half, I took steps to begin the music search. But soon afterwards, we made some other changes that resulted in several families leaving. To be completely honest, it took me a long time to recover from that experience. I mentally set aside the music process, and then in 2019, felt it was time to move ahead. Potentially lost in that timeline is the remarkable way David has served our church over the past decade. When we think about David's leadership, it's easy to go immediately to his amazing voice and musical skill. But what's been even more impressive is how he is so faithful and prepared every week. He has humbly served and gone far above and beyond the role of an interim music minister. None of us, other than his wife, will know the number of hours he has put in behind the scenes. And we've been blessed by his humility, wisdom, and love for the Lord. David's comment along the way, when I would check in with him, asking if he was still good serving as interim, was that he simply wanted to do what was best for the church. Scripture says to give honor to whom honor is due. And as Jim has mentioned several times, one of our biggest goals is wanting to honor and appreciate David in a way that ultimately brings glory to God. To put the full situation in context, let me back up for a minute and explain more of the process that led to our proposal tonight. In May 2017, the Emmaus pastors at the time, myself, Jim, and Jaron, were meeting for prayer and to discuss God's work in the church. This was before we set aside the search process for a while. We have these meetings every six weeks or so, specifically as a way to be obedient to Hebrews 13, 17, which talks about leaders keeping watch over the souls of their people. In this meeting in May 2017, as I was sharing that I wanted to work on the music search process, and as I shared some things that would be important when looking at candidates, Jim asked Jaron if he had ever considered a calling to this type of ministry. Best I can remember, Jim and I had never talked about this separately, but his comment was something I had thought about as well. In response to Jim's comment, Jaron shared about his love for worship ministry and that Jim's comment made him want to pray about the possibility, but it wasn't something he had considered much before that point. As I said earlier, in 2019, the Emmaus pastors, at that point, myself, Jim, Jaron, and Jeff, restarted conversations about solidifying the music leadership position. Then, in early 2020, we began receiving resumes for the position. I want to explain this process because it might be a little different than what you've experienced. Section 8.2.2 of our bylaws states, Whenever the need arises for a new member of the ministry staff, either through vacancy or through the establishment of a new position, the pastor, existing members of the ministry staff, and the personnel committee shall work together to recommend a person for such position. A search committee shall only be organized if deemed necessary by the pastor or personnel committee. In talking with the pastor search committee over five years ago, one thing that was important to me and that they affirmed was the pastor's involvement in identifying a worship pastor. Emmaus has a very helpful structure in this regard. The church trusts and expects the pastors and ministry staff to make decisions and take leadership. At the same time, the church has a few committees, personnel, finance, building, to provide checks and balance and serve as a sounding board for the staff. In saying this, I want to be clear that for the current process, we didn't form a music search committee outside of the personnel committee, and I've taken more of a leadership role in the search process than I might in other situations. But based on the number of meetings we've had and the number of hard questions they've thrown at me, the personnel committee has in no way been passive. Instead, they've been a great source of wisdom and feedback and forced me to move carefully through the final stages of this process. This proposal comes with their unanimous vote. When it came time to pursue music resumes last year, we didn't put an announcement on the back page of the Baptist Messenger or hire an outside search agency. 
Both of those strategies can garner a lot of resumes, but both strategies tend to produce an overload of applicants that can detract from pursuing candidates who match the character and heart of your church. Instead, Jim and I reached out to multiple organizations, pastors, and leaders we respect to ask them for candidates. We also had separate meetings with a few key worship leaders in significant churches, including Charlie Hall at Frontline Church and Brian Taylor at Prestonwood Church in the Dallas area. These leaders helped us think through key issues about worship ministry and how to pursue candidates. This process led to 10 strong candidates, among whom were David and Jaron. Again, if you're listening online, footnote two says on the bottom of the page, Jaron submitted his resume in March, just before COVID quarantine started, after Jim and I approached him again. At a pastor's meeting in early April to discuss COVID response, the music leadership discussion came up again. At that point, we removed Jaron from all future meetings about the music search in an effort to protect the process and guard his relationships with everyone involved. When I think about moving from initial conversations to tonight's proposal, I describe the process as a spiral. Amanda and I often use this spiral illustration in marriage, with the idea being that you feel like you're talking in a circle about an issue and not making much progress, when in reality, as you go around the circle and see all sides of an issue, you're getting closer to the center. If you've ever been to the Emmaus offices during the week, you've probably heard singing in the hallway. Surprisingly enough, that's not me. It's Jaron. He sings in the hallway, in the car, at staff meetings, and likely in the shower. And if you've been part of an Emmaus worship gathering before, you know Jaron's love for worshiping the Lord with his church family. What you see on stage is not for show or personal attention. He loves to sing and worship and wants to lead others to do the same. This comes from a heart of humility and also comes from someone who wants to see his family worship the Lord in their home. When Jaron and I have talked about worship ministry, he has mentioned that what we do on Sundays should prepare and shape how people worship the Lord in the home behind closed doors. He loves his wife and kids deeply, and as excited as Jaron is about the possibility of leading worship at Emmaus, Christine is doubly excited for him because of what she has discerned in his life for many years. For almost 20 years, Jaron has served full-time in Emmaus. He actually began in 1996 as a student ministry intern under Michael Staten. While in the Emmaus youth group, Jaron began playing the guitar, which was a gift from his grandfather, and leading his peers in worship. After a few internships at other churches, Jaron began part-time with college and singles at Emmaus in 1999 before moving to full-time in 2001. During his time at Emmaus, Jaron has been part of the worship ministry at various points, and in 2002, he was one of the interim worship leaders during a music search process. Plus, once he transitioned to student minister in 2006, Jaron has consistently led worship for and alongside our students. Before I lay out some of the vision for Jaron's potential role in worship ministry, let me say something about the senior adult minister part of this proposal. When we hired Carl Dean in 2018 to lead senior adults in evangelism, we had no idea how impactful his hire would be for us. Carl immediately became a gift, not only to our senior adults, but also to our staff. He consistently checked on and encouraged our senior adults, and he helped us to be more intentional about evangelism. When Carl stepped away from the Emmaus staff to become the new executive director of Mission Norman, I knew I wanted to find someone who would love and serve our senior adults as much as Carl did. As I began to consider Jaron's possible calling to lead worship, he also immediately fit what we needed for our older adults. Few youth ministers that I know have done a better job connecting across the generations of a church. 
Jaron has not only ministered to our teenagers and their families, but he's tried to connect the teenagers with our older adults. Plus, after being here for so many years, he knows and loves the older adults in Emmaus, and they know and love him. It's not hard to envision Jaron doing woodworking jobs with some of our older men, taking his boys to visit shut-ins, or Christine writing cards and making phone calls to our older ladies. To take a section out of Jaron's application questionnaire, after identifying encouragement as his primary spiritual gift, he wrote, coming alongside hurting souls in the midst of struggle has probably been the most life-giving thing I've enjoyed in ministry while using these gifts. The nature of leading ministry also gives me the opportunity to invest in those who serve under my leadership. Circling back to music for a minute, I'm excited about Jaron's vision for pastoral leadership, team building, and service planning. As with anyone who is hired to a church staff, we don't expect him to be a mirror image of those who held this position in the past. He will bring his own skills, personality, and approach, but won't, what won't change is a humble approach that honors the Lord and seeks to serve the church. Jaron wants to build up musicians and worship leaders around him who will each use their gifts to engage and lead the congregation in gathered worship. On this note, Jaron and I have talked about a desire to maintain our church's choir. Since Jaron doesn't have training in musical theory or choral music, one of his first tasks will be identifying a part-time leader for our choir who can also work alongside Jaron with our instrumentalists and vocalists. Footnote three at the bottom of that page says that a likely question at this point would be, why not David for this part-time choir and associate position? This was my hope, and we asked David to consider the option. But after several meetings and much prayer on his part, he didn't feel it was the right thing for him to do. While I had hoped this plan would work out, we completely respect his decision. As part of the Emmaus staff, Jaron's strongest quality is probably his teachable spirit and desire for feedback. Jaron and I have developed a relationship that allows for hard conversations and disagreements, but it includes a strong trust in one another and a desire to speak the truth in love. He is able to share his ideas, but also work alongside a team in a humble, spiritually mature way. This approach will lead him to learn from other worship pastors in our area and from resources at conferences around the country. To me, the possibility that, Jaren, that the Lord is leading Jaron to serve as our worship pastor fits within the big picture of what we talked about tonight, especially our structure of up, in, and out. A key and ongoing part of leadership in any organization is getting the right people on the bus and then getting them into the right seats on the bus. It's an imperfect process and requires the Lord's wisdom and patience with us. But with the hiring of a worship pastor, we will have pastoral leadership in place to serve each part of our church's vision and mission. We exist to proclaim and display Jesus. This is my area of responsibility, with responsibility for preaching and overall vision, providing oversight for the full staff, including direct reports from preschool kids, youth, and the up-in-out pastors, responsible for connecting with guests and prospects through personal follow-up and through our communications director and welcome team. Up would be the proposed area for Jaron's pastoral leadership, with responsibility for worship through weekly gatherings, leading our church in prayer and praise, both when we gather on Sundays and in our homes, and connecting the church across generations with special attention to our senior adults. In is Jeff's area of responsibility for discipleship through Sunday school, small groups, and ministry teams. These are men's ministry, women's ministry, young adult ministry. Also responsible for our membership process and new members. Also responsible for leading the church to engage with God's word and encourage and serve one another. Out 
is Jim's area of pastoral leadership with responsibility for missions in our neighborhoods and to the nations, leading our church in outreach and evangelism, and serving as the associate pastor with responsibility for the financial administrator, building usage and staff, and working alongside the deacons. And it should go without saying that this description of Jim's role is the greatest understatement in history. So, with that proposal in mind, what are the next steps beyond tonight? First, I know this is a lot of information to digest. A copy of tonight's address will be available on our website and emailed as part of my regular church-wide email. Plus, a hard copy of tonight's address will be mailed to every member of Emmaus. Because this time of prayerful consideration is happening amid COVID and over the holidays, I want to be particularly careful that our church family has a chance to ask questions. Over the next few weeks, we will offer question and answer forums including an online Zoom option. You'll get information about when those will be happening. For the in-person options, we will meet in a room large enough to socially distance. As always, you can email me directly or call and text me at the number there. The next few weeks will lead to a church vote on January 10th, and we're still working on the details of how to allow the most people possible to, to participate in that vote with the reality of COVID. So... Because Jaron would be transitioning within the staff from a student ministry role to the worship role, the move technically doesn't require a church vote. However, involving the congregation through discussion and a vote definitely seems best, both for our church and for Jaron. We know music and staffing decisions are difficult and emotional. And I make this proposal, and Jaron acknowledges it with open hands to God's will and direction for our church family. And then closing with section five, moving ahead with faith, wisdom, and humility. When I served as financial aid director at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary while working on PhD studies, I would often talk with students about faith and wisdom not being enemies in scripture. As we move ahead with open hands, this combination of faith and wisdom will be important. It's always been the case, but this past year has demonstrated clearly that none of us has as much control or power as we think. Instead of leading to despair, this reality leads the people of God to greater courage and greater hope than ever before and leads us to serve and love one another with greater patience and joy than ever before. I use the following verses often in emails and notes to the church, and these words from Paul to the church at Philippi capture what I want to say in closing tonight. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let me pray for us as we're dismissed. Father, we gather here tonight asking again, Father, for your grace and your wisdom and your strength both for our church family, for our own lives, and all that people are facing around us, God. We know when we leave this building, uh, or wherever someone might be listening to this, God, we go back into very hard situations. And so, God, I pray that more than ever, we would know what it is to trust and serve you. God, guide us in the days ahead. And Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for being here tonight. God bless you.